0: hello everyone it's kennedy with the keeping up with kennedy podcast the show where i live my life at warp speed and see if you have what it takes to follow along throughout our journey together we'll learn what it really means to dream without fear and live without limits so sit down buckle up and enjoy the ride Hello everyone and welcome back. I am coming at you live from Atlanta, ready to give you all of my life updates that y'all missed out on over the past year due to me being off the grade in safety and in hiding due to the series of events that unfolded in last week's episode. I did one episode this January that honestly wasn't my best work, updating you all on my journey to meet Miley Cyrus. Back in January, I began my first clinical rotation in an early intervention setting of physical therapy. If you aren't familiar with what that means, early intervention is only for infants from birth until their third birthday. I had fought pretty hard on our match day for that rotation and I was so excited to finally be working in pediatrics. Back when I decided I wanted to do PT after my sophomore year of undergrad, I knew I wanted to work with kids as my end goal. I would probably consider myself just a big kid with adult money and responsibilities at this point, and I think I'll stay this way until the day I die. Like, you should have seen all the things I was putting in my cart at the grocery store today. It really looked like it would all fit pretty nicely in an elementary school lunchbox. So actually working in this setting of PT though and finally living out what I had been dreaming of for years and years and years wasn't exactly what I had expected. We had one of our babies die pretty early on in my rotation and that really shook up the whole center. Some of the therapists went to the funeral and came back and told stories about it and it really took an emotional toll on a lot of people including myself. I also realized that while I love playing with babies and all that, the actual work and job of getting a six month old to accomplish a therapeutic task or a goal didn't come as naturally to me as working at my second rotation did. I would always be so over-prepared for each session with all these different backup plans and half the time the baby would just wanna sit and stare at me, Or play with my hair for 20 minutes or they fell asleep or they got hungry in the middle of the session. You know, just like normal baby things. The paperwork and documentation at this rotation was also a nightmare. I felt so lost even up until my last week there with all the six-month reviews and IFSPs and everything you have to do because everything in this setting is so contingent on the baby's birthday. So you have a caseload of like 40 to 50 kids and you have to remember who's 12 months and who's 25 months and who's only six months. And when you're six month old is gonna be eight months and you're going to be expecting him or her to be meeting new milestones and keeping all those things in the back of your mind as a therapist because you want them to be reaching their milestones on track, that's your job. And it was just very overwhelming. I learned so, so much of that rotation and gave it my best effort every single session, but ultimately, I had to come to face the reality that the dream I had been fighting for to work with babies in PT for so long just wasn't what I wanted to do with my life in reality. I really did truly love working at my second rotation and felt like I was really making an impact and a difference in people's lives. The medical director of the center, not my clinical instructor, but a different head guy, would come to me from time to time and tell me how much my patients were telling him that they liked me and that I was doing a really great job. So after the absolute nightmare that was my first rotation that we all learned about last week, and after not really vibing with my last rotation career-wise, I decided to apply for a job at one of the locations that the company of my second rotation was hiring at first and go from there. I applied in about mid-July while I was still studying for my board exam to get licensed that I was taking in late July. I was immediately rushed into two interviews back-to-back, and I found out I had the job the night before I took took my test and passed it the first time. Everything really seemed to just work out with perfect timing. I moved to Atlanta in mid to late August, and I've been living and working here ever since. I've gotten back into dog walking and dog sitting on the weekends and after work from time to time, and I truly love my day job and the life that I'm building here. So switching the pace up here a little bit, we will now hear from none other than my dad, Jason, to give us his pitch for his recurring segment on this podcast titled, My Dad, The Life Coach. Hello, Kennedy,
1: and hello, Kennedy's listeners. Thank you very much for inviting me to this segment called My Dad, the Life Coach. All you obviously know that my name is Jason and I am the dad and there's many reasons why I am the life coach I have a lot of experiences in life and I recognize that the majority of Kennedy's listeners are probably a generation or two behind me so I would like to share my experiences in a real life world to help the younger generation cope with many things that they may be facing in life this is not a therapy session This is real life advice from my experiences, and I believe I can help. Kennedy, did we have a question from the first caller?
0: Yes, we have our first caller, none other than Madeline Michelson. (laughs) My good friend, who I just went to brunch with today before I started recording this podcast. Now let's hear Madeline's question. Okay, everyone, we have our first call in listener for My Dad the Life Coach. What is your name, listener? Madeline. And Madeline, what is your question for My Dad the Life Coach? So I have a friend who has a fear of snakes for good reason. And I want to be a good friend and be supportive, but I also want to help them face their fear. So I'm just wondering if you have any advice or if you've dealt with something like that before.
1: So Madeline, the fear of snakes, dear friend, has a fear of snakes. And I completely understand. This one actually hits home with me. Because, like, I would say the average person, I have a fear of snakes, and I think, to some degree, most of us do. I'd like to start off by telling a story about a snake encounter that I had one time while camping. So every year, me and some other guys, one of them being my brother-in-law, your uncle Kennedy, we would go on a camping trip, and we would call it the man's trip.
0: And what do you think
1: happened on this man's trip? We would go in a boat far away from any road or civilization at least a half an hour boat ride and we set up camp on this remote beach along the river and there was some alcoholic beverages involved and uh, in this remote camp here comes nothing else but a rattlesnake slithering through our camp and of course I'm scared to death because we're you know 30 minutes away from even the boat dock and then another hour drive to a hospital and I'm the only one that can drive the boat so what if I get bitten by snake. So what do some of my friends do? They start throwing rocks at this snake and making it really mad and then the snakes (laughs) try to get into our tent. So uh, eventually the snake slithered away. Um, Everybody sort of kept their distance and nobody got bit by the snake and eventually he left. But believe me, it was hard to get to sleep that night knowing that the snakes were out there. So obviously, you know, I don't really enjoy going to the snake exhibit at the zoo, but nonetheless, I can function normally in society having this bit of a fear of snakes so i do understand where madeline's friend is coming from there was also a great action hero from the 80s from my era called he was named indiana jones and if you haven't seen the indiana jones movie specifically the very first one i would suggest that a friend and you, Madeline, sit down and watch Indiana Jones. There's one particular scene where Indiana Jones has to face his fears in the middle of several snakes. So, if you haven't seen the movie, go back and watch Indiana Jones. But that's not really what this session is about. We're going to talk about how to help your friend overcome the fear of Ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia? (laughs) What the heck? I mean, who comes up with these words? People sitting around in the 1800s? Like, <laughs> let's call fear of snakes ophidiophobia. <laughs> Makes oh, sense. <laughs> you can't even say it, right? But that's what we're talking about. Ophidiophobia. And, and again, the truth is we all probably have a little bit of a fear of snakes, whether we're out in the wilderness, hiking or biking or camping, or even if we're in our own backyard. You know, the fear of snakes can be there. So, you know, who wouldn't have a little bit of fear?
0: You see, I don't think I do. I I kind of enjoy snakes. Like back, yeah, back in Australia, I I had one like this mega, mega snake, like a six footer, like thick guy was like wrapping all around me. I got a good picture in it. And then I went to, in Vegas, I went to the Mandalay Bay um, aquarium once and (sighs) I have video footage of it. This big snake started swimming. Like he went out into the water. He was like a six footer too. He was a big guy. And I had never seen a snake swim in like an aquarium environment. So the water's like real clear. It's not like you're like floating a river and you see a snake. No, it's like you can see the snake so well just swimming and like lurking through like doing his business. It was crazy. And I thought it was so cool.
1: So, uh, Kennedy obviously is one of those that doesn't have the same fear that most of us do. But again, A lot of us have this fear. So let's talk about how to overcome the fear of snakes and how to really be supportive and help your friend overcome this fear. Tonight, what I have is a three-step process. So are we ready to talk about step one?
0: Yes, step one.
1: And again, this is just real life experience. This isn't a therapy session. We're not going to talk about your feelings and all that kind of stuff. We're just going to talk about how to handle this problem. So step one is to understand the statistics surrounding snakes. Okay? Mm-hmm. So every year in the United States, there's approximately 7,000 snake bites that are reported. So 7,000 people get Bitten by a snake. It's important to note, however, that of those 7,000, 40% of them are provoked by the person. They put themselves in this danger in essentially, you know, are asking the snake to bite them based on their actions. Of the 7,000 snake bites, we have to put this into perspective. But the US population currently is approximately 332 million people. If we do that simple math, one in 47,000 people a year will get bitten by a snake.
0: Okay, sure.
1: Okay. So of those 7,000 actually get bitten, right? There's one in 47,000 chance that will be you. But of the 7,000 a year that get bitten, Kennedy, can you guess how many deaths result up in 7,000 bites?
0: Maybe one?
1: Yeah, it's about five.
0: About yeah, five not many.
1: Of 7,000 bites. So we're going to continue to put this fear, and I'm assuming the fear is the snake bite and what happens after the snake bite. So one person... In the United States of America, one in sixty-six million four hundred thousand people each year will die from a snake bite. Sixty six million four hundred thousand five a year.
0: <laughs> five a year, okay, yeah.
1: Five a year, or one in sixty-six million four hundred thousand people. So let's continue to break this down one more step. Okay. So if we just pick a random state in the USA, I'm gonna just pick somewhere in the middle, the state of Tennessee, okay? Let's say the state of Tennessee has approximately, as a 2021 statistic, approximately 7 million people living in the state of Tennessee. So that means when we do the law of averages here, that one person in the entire state of Tennessee, every nine and a half years will die from a bite <laughs> One single person... years. Yeah. In 100 years, in a century, that's 10 people. Right. So we just have to look at the odds, or much like Tennessee, or we want to call it Arizona, or Washington, or Florida, whatever, the odds are still approximately the same. Highly unlikely. So step one is to understand the statistics and understand that your chances of dying from a snake bite are probably about the same as getting hit by lightning.
0: Right, and I'm sure Madeline's friend, if they do happen to live in Tennessee, wouldn't be those one in every 10 years who is dying because the people who die are probably the ones who do the provoking of the snake, you know?
1: that's correct you bring up a good point because as i shared earlier approximately 40 percent that they're asking for it
0: right Right. like i don't think her friend would be someone who would be asking for it if they have a genuine fear correct
1: i wouldn't think so because if they have a fear they're not going to put themselves in any way where they're possibly going to encounter a snake right i would think that your first step that madeline needs to help her friend understand the unlikeliness of first encountering a snake and then dying from a snake bite okay okay so that's step one step two is really what i just call understanding snakes not a whole lot to this this portion but we need to do some just high level understanding of snakes okay we're just talking about the united states of america that's i'm assuming your friend lives in the united states i believe they Uh, do yes okay so there's in the entire united states entire 50 states there are 100 species of snakes. 22 of these species are venomous and that's Typically, when we have to worry about death or serious bodily harm from a snake are the venomous snakes. So that's approximately 20%, which is reason enough to be cautious, right? You're out in the wilderness, you see a snake, there's maybe a 20% chance that that snake is venomous. The other thing that's very important to note, the species of snakes in North America typically will only attack when they're threatened or provoked. Don't do this. Mm -hmm. Don't be the 40%. Just don't. Just don't provoke the snake if you come into an encounter with a snake. Kenneth, what do you think you do if you encounter a snake? You're walking up a trail and a snake uh, is stopped in the trail up in front of you, what do you do?
0: Oh, you see, I could actually tell a story here because this exact situation actually occurred to me in none other than the Australian jungle. So me and my friend KP, who I was staying with, we're going on a hike to a waterfall and there's a man on the trail ahead of us. You know, we're, we're approaching him on the trail and he's coming, you know, leaving, like going back towards us. So we're, we're sure to make a, you know, pass by at least of this man and he has a stick in his hand and he's looking at us and he's like, gives us a shush signal. He's like, stay there. And we're just like, what? And with this small twig, it was not a large stick, with this twig, he tells us that he is holding back a venomous snake that is in the bushes right on the side of the trail. And sure enough, we see some bright colors in the leaves and we're like, yeah, okay, so this is probably legit. And so with his twig, he stands there to let us pass two young, girls who don't look like we wanna be bit by a snake. And so he holds the stick back and, you know, he was minding his business. He wasn't doing anything to provoke the snake. He just had a twig ready in case it tried to attack us. I don't know what he was gonna do with this stick, but I'm glad we didn't have to find out. And so my friend and I just looked straight ahead. We minded our business and we just walked, not even at a brisk pace. We didn't want it to know we were running from it. We just walked along and minded our business.
1: That's exactly right. If you see a snake, just stop, slow down, see its behavior. If it's in the middle of the path ahead of you, as I suggested, maybe just stand there, let it slither away, and then slowly continue on your journey past the snake. Because the snake is only going to bite you or come at you if it's being provoked. Just don't provoke it. Just stop, assess the situation. If the snake doesn't leave, Maybe just back up, get out of this eyesight of the snake. Eventually it's going to go about its business and you can continue about your business. So really the second step understanding snakes is just really understanding that 20% of them may be able to cause you serious harm, but they don't want to. Just don't provoke them. Again, don't be the 40%. Okay, so just to recap for your listeners and for our audience here, step one, understand the statistics. Step two... Understand the snake. Step three, really, how, how do we overcome the fear? So I have a few suggestions here that I believe could be helpful for Madeline to uh, really sort of start engaging her friend. The first one would be to educate yourself. How do you do this? Really what's important, you know, if you're, you're friends from a t- particular area or a particular state, you can do some quick education. You know, Google, Google's amazing. You can just talk to, to Siri or to whomever and say, Hey Siri, What dangerous snakes are in my area? Understand what's in your area, what the snakes look like, what to do in the event you're bitten, and that sort of thing. So educate yourself on the snakes. That's step one of overcoming fear. Do you think Madeline could do that?
0: I think she could. She is a teacher, so she is very good at educating.
1: Very good. So Madeline, as a teacher, you should have all the tools you need to educate yourself and then educate your friend. I would say the next step, go to a zoo or a pet store, just start observing snakes in a controlled environment. You know, visually, just looking at snakes. Maybe Madeline takes her friend once a week to you know, a pet shop or somewhere where they can just look at snakes. Maybe buy the dog food and then go look at the snakes.
0: Right. In psychology, we call this graded exposure.
1: Some exposure grading <laughs> as, a, as part of your overcoming the fear. Now, I would say step three is actually now we get into the psychology of it. Right. Buy something that you use on a daily basis, that you touch and feel like a purse or a wallet, maybe a belt or some shoes, buy something made of snake skin so that you use it every day, you know? I think that would get your mind into a mindset of snake skin and the touch and the feel of it.
0: Right, normalize the sensation.
1: Normalize the sensation, step three, into overcoming fear. Step four, and sort of what I'm gonna say is the final step to overcoming the fear, as you did, Kennedy, with this gigantic six foot python that was wrapped around your neck, go to a nature center in a controlled environment and actually handle a snake with a snake handler. That's going to be probably the what I would say is the final step to overcoming the fear of the snake. So you couple the steps of overcoming the fear with knowing that you don't want to provoke the snake and always wear proper clothing for the environment. You know, if you're out in the backyard, you know, and you've seen snakes out there in the past, Maybe don't wear flip flops, maybe put some shoes on, maybe some pants, you know, something that's a little more appropriate for the environment. So what I would say, educate and expose the individual to the snake to where eventually they're handling the snake, and this is over a period of time. You're not going to do all this in a week, but you're going to help your friend learn to cope with the reality that snakes live amongst us but also the reality that death or serious injury from a snake is highly unlikely. Okay, so I hope I did your listeners uh, some good by explaining ophidiophobia. Again, (laughs) what the heck? Ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes. So if you're out camping, go on a hike. If in the backyard, plan some outdoor activities. Have a barbecue. Have some backyard activities. Throw lawn darts or whatever you do these days outside in the backyard and encourage your friend to be out in the environment. Allow your friend to have this fear, but continually coach them with these simple steps to overcome that fear. Okay. So Madeline, that's why you've called My Dad the Life Coach. I hope everybody found that helpful. Again, My Dad the Life Coach is all about helping you, the listener. So any topic is fair game, whatever you want to talk about. If you have any questions, or you're stumped over something or they just have a genuine uh, question that you need some help on, please send Kennedy, however she asks you to send these in via text message or whatever, send her a message about your topic and we'll be sure to cover it on My Dad the Life Coach.
0: Yes, I can be contacted directly by email via contact at keepingupwithkennedy.org or via Instagram DM at keeping up with DR Kennedy. Okay, so there we have it. I would probably call that the official inaugural segment of my dad the life coach and next we will get into this week's where are they now segment this part of the podcast focuses on someone popular in the media from the past that you may have forgotten about but we all come to find out that this person might have more tricks up their sleeve than we originally thought this week's focus will be on the none other than Rebecca Black That's right, you love to hate her hit single Friday back in 2011, and it turns out she didn't stop there. After Friday being dubbed and quoted as the worst song ever by YouTubers and listeners everywhere at the time, Rebecca didn't stop there. In an article from the Orange County Register, it turns out that Miss Black is out with new music and is singing for sold-out shows in West Hollywood. She has plans for a U.S. as well as a European tour for her mini-album titled Rebecca Black Was Here that was released in June of 2021. She has since come out as identifying as queer and has made some of her new music under the influence of this. This article states, and I quote, The restoration of Rebecca Black started in public on February 10th, 2020, the ninth anniversary of Friday, when Black relaunched her Instagram page with a pair of photographs. One of her in knee-high red boots, a black mini dress, and a blunt cut bob in her Silver Lake home that day, and another from the Friday music video. She has found solace in the fact that time heals, and we are not identified by any one choice, thing, or circumstance. She has pushed through significant fears of failure into an established artist with big dreams and a future in the industry ahead of her. This article also states that, quote, where once she felt she needed to take the advice of managers and producers to fulfill their vision of what a Rebecca Black song should be, now she wrote and sang and recorded the things that made her the happiest. Let's all begin taking notes here, shall we? Don't make content to appease a vision of what other people think you should be, and start making content and doing things that align with your own personal vision of who you want to become. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Giving one more longer quote from this article, Rebecca reflects in a quote. Now, looking back the 11 years to Friday, there's more of a feeling of pride for surviving the online bullies, using the experience as motivation and sticking to it until reaching this point, than regret. I think I'm just glad that I never gave up, Black says. I get that question a lot. How? Like, why? Why do you still do it? She laughs at that and admits that it has often been difficult to carry on. I have come close to feeling so lost and not understanding how to get myself back on my feet, Black says. I'm just glad that I was able to find the same love that I had that weirdly got me back to Friday. Rebecca Black, if you are listening to this for some odd reason, please email or message me directly because girl, do I feel you on this one and I would love to have a chat and maybe even have a drink or two with you. Our lesson of the week this week, I think, comes from the idea that life is a journey and oftentimes it doesn't end up how you expected it to be, but sometimes it ends up even better. Was that a cliche? I mean, I don't care what you think of me or of this podcast for that matter. So I'm going to say it anyways. So leaving you with that, we'll see you next Monday.